In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Last time uh, we spoke um, about, um, in, the, in the book of Galatians that we're studying, and we finished about halfway through or toward the end of Galatians chapter 5, right before um, the part where St. Paul speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, all of the things that manifest in the believer when they are following God and walking in the Spirit. And this is the, to differentiate um, between the works of the law, which St. Paul is speaking against in the form of circumcision and the keeping of, 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 of various, like observing certain feasts and so on that the Jews were commanded to do in the Old Testament, and instead focusing on the work of the Spirit in the individual. That even though we are not being called to do certain external works, for that, that we rely on for salvation, which has really been kind of the theme so far in the whole book of Galatians, where St. Paul is speaking against the Judaizers and the message that um, circumcision is necessary for salvation. And St. Paul debunks this idea and says, if you think that circumcision is necessary for salvation, then essentially you minimize the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his sacrifice on the cross, and essentially you would have to fulfill the entire law. Why is it that you would only focus on the one point, which is the circumcision, and neglect the rest of the law? He's saying, essentially, if you are going to believe that circumcision is necessary for salvation, then you would have to keep the whole law and that you would be judged according to the keeping of the law. But instead, St. Paul emphasizes the idea that the law cannot save. It set a standard of behavior, a standard of morality. What is God's standard that we are trying to reach? But at the same time, it made us realize that we are unable to reach it without the grace of God working in us. And the necessity of receiving the mercy of God that came through the coming of the Messiah for the salvation of our sins. So essentially, St. Paul is seeing the message um, that the Judaizers are preaching, the one of circumcision, as being completely against the Christian message, completely canceling the necessity for the grace of God and the work of salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so now he is emphasizing what then is the work, because he has spent the, this, you know, so far five chapters speaking against works, right? So lest people think that he's saying that a Christian has no responsibility to do any kind of work. He's saying, what is the work? It is not the external work. It is not like the works of like these dead rituals that, that do not actually bring salvation. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit that is working inside the believer that begins with the newness of life that comes upon a person who has accepted the faith and has consented to be baptized, and then the, the Holy Spirit dwells in that person and begins to work in them. And so here, he is going to speak toward this latter half of Galatians chapter 5 about the, the fruit of the Spirit, and he's going to speak about the spiritual warfare, because as, the, as spiritual beings and as beings who are tempted by our own corrupted nature as well as by the demons, um, that we are going to engage in this battle, in this spiritual warfare, that we are called to pursue kind of this fight that we are fighting. And this is, you know, when you can ask the question of what does this Christian life look like? What does it mean for us to live as Christians in, our, in the world, in our life? And we can say, well, it is the pursuit of this battle. It is the spiritual warfare that we are engaging in 
on a daily basis, whether it is the warfare of the mind, of the thoughts, of the emotions, whether it's the warfare of my the way that I speak to others, um, how I deal with others, how I place other people's people before myself, how I forgive others who have hurt me, how I sacrifice of myself, of my time, how I you know s uh, submit myself to the commandments of God, um, even when my flesh is telling me something contrary, right? This is the work of the Christian. This is the work of sanctification. This is the spiritual struggle. And, and here when St. Paul, he's saying, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The lusts of the flesh, flesh, which are the natural desires of the flesh that place at the center the, the individual, the self, the self-love, where we essentially worship ourselves because our focus is on desiring to pursue whatever it is that makes myself to be glorified. Whatever it is myself to have whatever it is that I want. Whether it be a pleasure that we want ourselves to experience the maximum amount of pleasure, the maximum amount of comfort, the maximum amount of honor, the maximum amount of wealth and power and fame and whatever the case is, the focus of the flesh is the self. It is, it is, it is to exalt the self in every possible way we can imagine. It is ex to exalt the self in the way that we feel, in the way that we think, in the way that other people treat us, and so on. So this is the work of the flesh. The work of the spirit is the exaltation of God. It is God is the one who is the center. And all of my actions are revolving around the idea of the glorification of God, which includes obeying the commandments of God, which includes drawing closer to God, which makes my focus of my life not about the glorification of myself and the self-love, but instead the focus on the, the union between me and God, because the greatest desire that I have is not to uh, make myself feel good, but the greatest joy and enrichment that I have is to feel that I am in the union with God, to approach God, and God then fills us with his spirit, which is the far greatest reward than any other action that we could take, that we are pursuing in order to find joy and happiness in life that God comes and says I'm offering this to you I'm offering the fullness of life to you we see maybe uh, uh, a description of this when God is speaking um, to the Israelites in the book of Jeremiah and he is telling them that that he is the fountain of living water and anyone who seeks to drink who is parched who is thirsty and wants to drink should come to him because he has an infinite supply of what it is that we need but instead, as he is rebuking the people, he tells them that instead of coming to him, who was the fountain of living water, instead they are going after these broken cisterns or these broken pots that have holes in them, that whenever they try to fill them with water, all the water falls out. And so when they come to drink, they find that the pots are empty. This is the analogy that God gives between the pursuing him for the fulfillment of our needs and, and the true satisfaction and, f and, and joy in life as compared to going after the lusts of the flesh, which maybe in a moment they appear to bring satisfaction or they appear to, you know, to, to fulfill, but then after that moment has passed, they just bring suffering, destruction, pain, longing, and they don't abide, they don't remain. It's just this momentary feeling that then kind of turns against us. So this is the spiritual warfare and the law of sin, which is the working of the corrupted nature inside the self that is battling against the spirit of God in us. 
that having been baptized and having received the Spirit of God, our mission and our aim is to rise up and to go closer and closer to God. And yet there is this other force that is like pulling us down, trying to get us to, to instead of kind of f meeting the potential that we now have in Christ, to pull us down back again to the corrupted nature, to the carnal nature, to fall back into the same life of sin that we had before and convincing us that we are incapable of anything better than that. And so here St. Paul is speaking about the true um, life of sanctification and perfection that a Christian is capable of living through the grace of God working in them. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Maybe as we are struggling to conform our will to the spirit, that our spirit is telling us there are certain actions that we should stay away from. There are certain things we should do. We should pray. We should read the gospels, the scripture. We should partake of the sacraments we should do these things and we are having within us this conviction of the things that are right but there is also this other force in us that is pulling us down that is being an obstacle preventing us from doing those things that we that we know are right as he says here so that you do not do the things that you wish so that maybe in the end having known the truth that we still struggle in order to live out this truth saint paul says in romans chapter 7 he says for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. And it tells us something about the spiritual progress and the spiritual life. It is not simply about knowing the path. It is not simply about I know what is right. The power in order for us to live what is right is a completely different thing than simply the knowledge of what is right. And this is what the people in the Old Testament understood. And this is what St. Paul means when he speaks about the law and the limitations of the law. The law is simply the instructions of what we should be doing, but it provides no power, no grace, in order for us to live according to the commandments of the law. Whereas here, when St. Paul is speaking, he says what the carnality in us, the flesh that is in us, it is what is keeping us from practicing the things that we want, and in fact, it is keeping us to practice the things that we hate. And St. Paul himself speaking about himself as he is going through the same struggle as we all are human beings going through the same struggle. So this is the spiritual warfare that St. Paul is describing. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, w Why? Because, again, the law tells us what is right and wrong, but it doesn't give us the power to obey. Those who are led by the Spirit know the commandments of God and abide in it, right? The law and the, the written law becomes something for them that kind of like, like, like they have internalized the law of God and the work of the grace and the Spirit in them has made them to be higher than the law, to like be able to judge the law, right? This is why what St. Paul is speaking about those people who are spiritual, that have attained the mind of Christ, they can judge everyone, but no one can judge them. Because having been filled with the Spirit of God, they are able to judge. They, are, they have wisdom, and they're able to discern. And they're able to see even the, the laws in the world of what is 
what is right in conforming with God's command and what is false. And no one can judge them because they are uh, elevated. They are enlightened with the, with the Spirit of God in them. So no one can look to them and judge their actions because they are operating on a completely different level than anyone else because they are a spiritual person, elevated from simply being a natural person or a carnal person. They are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he is describing here is the works of the flesh. This is the works of someone who is away from God. It is not just the work of a very evil person. It is not just the work of like a wicked person. It is the work of the natural person. It is the work of the person who lives in the world apart from the grace of God and the knowledge of God that they will fall into such things. Because apart from the work of God in us, uh, th this is what we are naturally going to gravitate toward because this is the work of the flesh. And we all have the flesh, right? As believers, we have the spirit as well. And the spirit wars against the flesh so that we move away from a lifestyle that is ca categorized by these things and, and instead move to a life of purification, a life of purity, a life with a God that has none of these things. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of a person, right? Adultery and fornication, okay? Like sexual temptation, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, all kinds of idolatries. It could be like worshiping idols, but it could be all the other kinds of things that we set up as idols in our life that we go to for comfort, that we go to to, to help us to deal with the stress of the world. Again, going back to the example of the broken cisterns, right? Like those broken cisterns are the idols, Right, that some that people go to, uh, people go to sexual temptation. People go to uh, drugs. People go to um, alcohol. They go to all kinds of ways of dealing and processing what the stresses in the world are. All our idols, sorcery. There is the occult. Some people go and find meaning in this. Hatred. People who are filled with hatred and seek revenge against other people. Again, these are the ways of the world. Contentions, fighting with others, having conflicts, not being able to yield to another person being puffed up in my opinion so that I feel that I am right, unwilling to yield and let another person have their way. Jealousies, right? Being jealous or envious of other people for what it is that they have. Outbursts of wrath, not being able to control my anger or my emotions that I find that they overcome me and that I, my will is weak in front of them. Selfish ambitions, placing myself first, being willing to harm other people for the sake of my progress and my success. Dissensions, disagreements, heresies, right? Believing contrary to the truth. Envy, murders, right? The expression of hatred, drunkenness, revelries. Again, the focus on the glorification of the self. What is it that I want to indulge in in my life, okay? All of these are examples of the, the, the life without God, right? The, the works of the flesh. And so a person who is um, pursuing the work of God the work of God and the belief in God is not simply a belief. Like it, it, it's, not, it's not simply a set of ideas that I accept. 
it's not like, okay, I'm living my life the way that I've always lived it and the way that I know how to live it and the things that I'm comfortable with. This is my life. And then I'm exposed to the beliefs of Christianity, which speak about the existence of a triune God, which speaks about the existence of, you know, the God who was incarnate and the crucifixion and the commandments and so on. And so then I say, yes, I believe in these things as well. Um, but I'm going to continue in this direction that I have chosen because this is what I'm comfortable living. This is how I choose to live. This is not, um, you know, Christianity is not a philosophy where you simply accept a certain kind of ideas and then that becomes my religious belief. And sadly, when, you know, people who take polls, let's say, of people say, what religion are you? The vast majority of people that are belonging to any religion we would say are of the kind that they live their life the way they choose, the way they think is reasonable for them. But they also believe in certain things. They believe that the existence of certain things. They believe in certain divine beings or certain supernatural things or you know certain historical things or certain ways of life that they, they assent to. And they say, yes, this is my religion. Okay, But how is your religion expressed in your daily life, in your daily behavior? Okay, Here... St. Paul is making it clear that whether it's a person who is a non-believer or whether it's a person who is a believer, that person is still influenced by the flesh, right? And so as, as Christians, we make it our aim to war against the flesh. That having now received the Spirit of God, we have a hope of success. Like we have a hope of fighting this flesh that prior to receiving the grace of God, we had no hope, right? We had no, we had no way in order to overcome these natural things that are part of our nature. These are part of our nature. You know, this is, this is part of the human nature. So when we are trying to say we're going to stop these things, it's like we're saying you need to stop being the way that you are, right? You need to stop being, in a sense, human, okay? Because this is the naturalness of the human being. This is not the way that God originally created the human being. The way that God originally created humanity was free from all of these things and all these addictions and all these things. But we, through the fall of man, became corrupted and fell into these things. So having been corrupted and living in these things, now as we receive the Spirit of God, it is manifested in us to fight and to war against these things. And that becomes one of the biggest you know, jobs and missions and you know, tasks that we are called for as believers. And, you know, we're getting ready to start the great fast. We just finished Jonah's fast. And this is what we are focusing on during the great fast. You know, what we are focusing on is I'm using this fast, fasting as a means of helping me to war against the flesh. It is not just I'm changing my food because the church says I have to change food, right? That I have to eat certain kinds of food and not other kinds of food. It is a part of this mission of warring against the flesh that if I can control my appetites, even the appetites that are not sinful, because eating meat and so on is not sinful, but if I, can, if I can overcome these natural appetites, then it helps in my training in order to be able to overcome this. This is what we are really fighting against. We're not fighting against our diet. We're fighting against sin. And these, uh, these sins that St. Paul lists here are the manifestation of the flesh that is in any person that we then are warring against. But the fruit of the Spirit, and now he speaks about the contrary. So he says, how is it that we know, you know, if a person is filled with the Spirit of God? 
how do we know if a person is fighting against the flesh? Well, you look at their behavior. You say, when I look at a person, do I see manifested in them the works of the flesh, or do I see manifested in them the works of the spirit? And if I see manifested the works of the flesh, that means that maybe the flesh is still having a hold on that person. Now, it doesn't mean that that person is not repenting, right? But we still see the, the manifestation of the flesh in them. Contrary to that, if we see a person filled with the fruit of the spirit, okay, the fruit of the spirit is the, the, the manifestation of the spirit of God working inside of a person, okay? And actually, um, Christ, when he was speaking about how is it that you would be able to recognize false prophets? He said in Matthew chapter 7, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes with thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Meaning, can you get some good fruit from a bad plant? Like, can you, can you, can you reap a fruitful harvest from weeds? No, right? The fruits are a manifestation of the plant. Okay? So here also the fruit of the Spirit is a manifestation of our war, the spiritual war against the, f the lust of the flesh, okay? So he says, love, right? Contrary to hate, which is what was mentioned in the, the fruits of the, f the, the, the works of the flesh, right? Love, and not a love of the world, like, like a love like the rest of the world loves. As Christ said, even sinners love those who love them. You know, this word love is one of the most maligned words that can meet s mean so many things. And people use the word love to really be a reflection or what they really mean is a self-love, right? When I love another person, right, in the worldly language, it really means that I feel that this person loves me or I feel like this person makes me feel a certain way about myself, right? So again, the focus is self, whereas the kind of love which is the fruit of the Spirit that Christ is speaking about, he's speaking about an action. He's saying, how is it that I can serve others? How is it that I can serve others who hate me? Right? This is a completely different thing than what the world typically calls love, but that is the fruit of the Spirit. How can I give of myself to others? How can I sacrifice of myself to others, especially those who do not deserve it, especially those who do not return the love that, um, that I offer to them? Okay? And again, this is what Christ said. Like, What good is it if after I give something, I get something in return? No, the true expression of Christian love is to give to those who cannot repay right and to those who do not deserve joy right how many people are sad and depressed you know in life because when we try to find satisfaction and joy in the events of the world we will find one day maybe i have some joy because the events have happened according to what i want and then the next day they don't happen according to what i want and so i am sad and i'm in a bad mood and i'm down now of course all of us being human beings are going to have emotions and there will be some times where we're more happy than others. But the, the idea of joy is that regardless of whether there's these up or down moments, there is a sense of eternal joy that does not change because regardless of what might happen to me on a given day, my, my goal is the same. The end target is the same. My belief in eternity is the same. My belief in God is the same. Where I believe God is leading me is the same. All those things are unmovable and unchangeable. Okay, so for that reason, there is nothing that can shake me, right, which leads us to peace. The idea that nothing can shake me, nothing makes me lose my peace because ultimately I believe that I am secure in God, 
if my security comes from God, comes from the salvation that I am receiving from God, then nothing that anyone does or anything that can happen to me in my life can ever cause me to waver or to shake because my peace is not coming from things that are changeable. My peace is not coming from my job. My peace is not coming from my relationships. My peace is not coming from my wealth. My peace is not coming from my health. My peace is not coming from anything that changes from day to day to day. All those things that I mentioned change. Maybe we have a lot of wealth one day and we lose the wealth. Maybe we are healthy one day and then we lose the health. Maybe we have good relationships with people one day and the next day we lose those relationships or we lose the, the loved ones that we have relationships with. When we place our joy or our peace or our sense of comfort or, or, or a sense of, of um, like satisfaction in these things, then inevitably they will change from day to day to day as, as we find. And we will try to hold on to things that we cannot hold on to because it is beyond our ability to control. Things that I want to keep close to me that maybe I can't keep close to me. And so ultimately, when St. Paul speaks to the Philippians about the peace that surpasses all understanding, he's speaking about a peace that comes from God, not a peace that comes from man or the world. Okay, This is, again, the fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering. How is it that we can have patience and to wait? You know, this word long-suffering really kind of emphasizes what patience is about. It's about suffering, and it's about suffering for a long time, right? Maybe the things that I want to happen or that I want to change, I want those things to happen, those things to change right now, right? I want it to be short, you know, short suffering, <laughs> but that's not, that's not what it is, right? God wants us to learn this because in the world we have to wait, in the world, things aren't going to happen on our timing. So again, to have long-suffering means that I can continue to have joy and peace even when the things that I wait for take a very, very long time and maybe never even happen, right? Again, the fruit of the Spirit is like, is like our immunity from the suffering that's in the world, right? Like someone who truly has these fruit like manifested in them the world will have very little um, impact, right? The world will have very little impact. The world, like the things that are happening around us are not going to change our mood so much. They're not going to change our vision. They're not going to change our emotions so much. Again, like we are, we are no natural people. There's always going to be some changes, but, but we are going to be confident in who we are and where we are going because of the presence of God who abides forever, not because of the things happening in the world. Kindness, right? A person who shows kindness to another person. It is out of the overflow of the spirit and the grace of God in me that instead of being selfish and caring only about my own things, that I can place someone else before myself, right? And maybe we've experienced that there are some days where we have such an overflow of love and kindness to others that we are willing to give up what is our own in order to see another person enjoy. In order for another person to get what is good, we are willing to sacrifice of ourselves. And maybe there's other days where we do not. Maybe other days where all we care about is I want to be the one to get whatever it is that I want and to get it first before anyone else. Kindness is to show compassion and love to other people, right? Placing it before ourselves. Goodness, being good, having the characteristics of God. All of the characteristics of God are good, right? How can I show goodness to people? How can I treat them better than they deserve? Faithfulness. How can I be faithful even when everything around me says contrary? 
How is it that I believe that God is in control when we look around the world and we find so much death and destruction and suffering and pain and wickedness, right? That maybe our senses tell us that God is not in control, but our faith tells us, no, God is in control. And even if we cannot fully comprehend or understand the work of God, right? Whether the work of God that we see in front of us, whether the work of God in the past or what is the work of God in the future, but we continue to have faith in believing that God is present and God is working and I believe in him even when the outcomes of things are not what I would have liked. Gentleness, right? Being gentle in the way that I treat people, not quick to anger, right? Slow, soft-spoken, that I want to, you know, give people benefit of the doubt, that I don't want to jump to attack or be aggressive. Self-control, right? A big part of the fruit of the works of the flesh, we, in order to battle them, we need self-control. The, the, the desires that and the impulses that we, um, that we experience, we don't act on them. We're not quick to act on some impulse, some desire, you know, that I have. I'm able to control myself, even when it comes to the things that are not evil. Even when it comes, to like, for instance, when we speak about fasting, that's what fasting is about. It's teaching us to have self-control in something that is not evil. Just the fact that I'm able to control my impulses in something, right, that the desire for food comes, no, I, I can control the desire for food. Entertainment. You know, if somebody is, say, fasting from media, the desire for media comes, but I'm able to control myself and say, no, I'm not going to watch, you know, or I'm not going to speak, or I'm not going to, you know, do whatever it is that maybe I feel is an obstacle that is in order for me to demonstrate and exercise self-control. This is, again, part of the fruit of the Spirit. And those people who are the holiest people, like the saints, for instance, when we look to them, what is it that we find in them that is so attractive? We find the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we find. And, and what makes us in awe of them is that they have the fruit of the Spirit in such quantity that we look at them as almost they are beyond human, right? Because it is beyond human. Because the, the, the only way for us as corrupted human beings with the corrupted flesh, the only way for us to achieve this fruit is through the supernatural work of grace in us. It is not through simply trying really hard. It's not through certain techniques that we can do. It is through the work of grace in us. So in that sense, when we look to those people who have perfected themselves, of course not perfect in the literal sense, but who, who have gone so far above kind of like the, the standard of the world, we look to them with kind of an awe and an admiration because we see that someone who pursues God to the fullest someone who sacrifices of the, the things that their desires to the fullest can achieve truly the characteristics of God in them. And we look to them as role models. And we say, we want to venerate these people. These people are, are worthy of our veneration because they are like the best of us. You know, like they're the athletes. They're the, they're the Olympians of the spiritual life, right? They're the ones who we look to and say, how is it possible for a person to have achieved such you know, they, 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 they inspire us to work hard and to be like them. Against such there is no law, right? This is, this is the manifestation of the Spirit of God um, in us. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh, like taken the flesh and nailed it to the cross, saying we, we have overcome it, right? We have overcome it. It has no power over us, right, anymore. And its passions and its desires, those who are Christ. 
So in our relationship with Christ, this is where we grow in the fruit of the Spirit in order to be able to live um, this life. And if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit, meaning we live in the Spirit because we have received the Spirit, right? This is the this is why the when you see the works of the flesh manifested in the life of a believer, it's much, much worse than when you see it manifested in the life of a non-believer. Because the person who is a non-believer, they, they don't have the Spirit of God, and they are living according to their nature. And that is simply the facts. So you expect them to have the works of the flesh because this is the natural works of, 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 the, of the corrupted human being. But when you have a person who is a believer... It's like, you know, you have been given this weaponry. You have been given these, these weapons in order to battle and to fight. And yet you choose not to use them. You know, it's like you have done nothing. You, like, like you can imagine a person who is like uh, kind of helpless when their enemies come and attack them because they have no way to respond. Like they have no weapons to defend themselves. They have no way to attack. They have no way to respond to these enemies. So they're kind of like helpless as people or these enemies are coming trying to destroy them. But if a person is given weapons, right? Weapons in order for them to fight. You expect that now when these same enemies come that they're able to use those weapons in order to, to respond to these, these attacks and to be able to overcome the enemies. Right, so this is what we as Christians have been given. Like we have been given the weapons, but that doesn't mean that just because we have the weapons, then we're using them, right? And this is what we should, we should do. We should use, right? We live by the Spirit, so we should walk by the Spirit. We should live according to the calling that we have been called and according to the grace we have received. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay. So the, the St. Paul is emphasizing that the freedom that we have in Christ, because this whole epistle is about freedom, freedom from the law, okay? Freedom from the law of the Old Testament. And he's speaking about how we do not have to conform ourselves to the law, and we have been given a freedom in Christ. But that doesn't give us the license to sin. Because we benefit from the mercy of God, because we benefit from the love of God, because we benefit from all of these things, okay? This does not mean that we use this as a license in order for us to practice the works of the flesh, right? We are not, that's, that's the opposite message. We're not saying, well, you know, because we have forgiveness of sin, now when we fall, we have forgiveness of sin, then we now have a license in order to, um, to do all of the works of the flesh, but then I can ask God for forgiveness, okay? This is, this is a false message, okay? Like being led by the Spirit means that we should struggle and strive to serve God and his people, not because we are in bondage to sin, but out of love. So this is the difference of the message being one of, I need to do the good works because I'm afraid of damnation, you know? Like I'm, I'm afraid of punishment, so for that reason, I need to do good works versus we are responding to the love of God in all that he has done. And when we simply meditate on the mercy and the love of God and what he sacrificed for our sake, this naturally makes us to respond to him in love. Our works should not be out of fear and our works should not be something that is a trophy, right? That we become conceited in them. Like we are doing good work and we're comparing ourselves to one another and we, ha we are conceited in what we have achieved. This is 
an expression of our love to God. That was chapter 5. Any comments about chapter 5 before we continue? Okay. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, such a one, uh, sorry, uh, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Okay? Let me read it again. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest also you be tempted. Okay? What does it mean for someone to be overtaken in a trespass? to sin or temptation okay to fall into sin but it's like even more than that because we all we all sin right like we all sin so is it the case that every time I commit a sin okay then someone should come and restore me in a spirit of gentleness what does it mean more being in a lifestyle of sin Okay, like a lifestyle of sin, like at risk of destruction because of a lifestyle of sin that I have chosen. So again, someone who is a believer, a Christian, but has chosen or has been overcome by the lusts of the flesh, the works of the flesh, to where instead of it being like a battle where, yes, so I'm fighting and sometimes I succeed and sometimes I fall and I'm repenting, instead it becomes like a decision like I have chosen a certain life and this life either I feel like it is a good life, a justified life, or I have given up fighting against it because I believe that I cannot overcome it, I cannot defeat it, and so I've chosen a certain life without making any effort to overcome it. Yes. Eric on YouTube uh, calls it habitual sin. Hab well, so even habitual sin, we can repent of it. Like a habitual sin is maybe a sin that we are committing again and again and again, yes, because it's a weakness that we have. But even someone who has an habitual sin, every single time they commit sin, they can still repent. And they can ask God to forgive them. And they can still come to church. They can still serve in the church. They can still partake of the sacraments. They still have salvation. Habitual sin does not disqualify us from salvation because it is a sin that we, yes, we are, we are repeating it because it's a weakness. But it doesn't mean that we have chosen it as a, as a lifestyle. A lifestyle is a conscious decision that I have chosen to live a certain way either because I disagree that this thing is a sin, okay, or I have completely given up the fight because I feel like I cannot win. So I'm just going to live it. I'm going to do it um, almost like in a numb kind of way where I'm not really fighting anymore and I don't really have any faith or hope that I can ever overcome it, so there's no point in me even trying anymore. And so I just kind of give up myself to it, okay? So he's saying if somebody is fallen in this way, in a kind of sin in that way. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, so why is he asking that it be a person who is spiritual to be the one to restore that person? And what does restoring them look like? Why should a spiritual person be the one to 
take the lead to try to restore this person who has fallen into sin. Just guess. <laughs> so what would happen if it was not a spiritual person? Okay, that's one thing. They could both fall. The person who is not the spiritual person, okay, when exposed maybe to the sin that this person is doing, maybe actually that person would fall into sin as well. Right? So, so that's one reason why you should have a spiritual person do it. Okay, what else? Okay, they may end up causing more harm. Why would they cause more harm? If they don't have that discernment or that relation with God, uh, like for example, it wouldn't be coming from a good place. Maybe you know uh, we're not. Sometimes we're not aware of uh, our person, or uh, we may excuse. Uh, um, bringing the the person that has fallen back as uh, being necessary but at the same time it might be from a place of pride or it might be uh, like oh how could you have fallen into this yeah there might be judgment the the person might not have any discernment to know how to approach it they don't even maybe understand sin itself and what would be you know considered like how how to uh, to how to approach the idea of sin and a person who has fallen into sin and what is it that person needs okay again yeah that's a that's other reasons why that person has to be spiritual then it also says that they have to be gentle why gentle if they're not gentle they might make them go the other way uh, if they're harsh. Yeah, if they're harsh, they might push that person away to where they never want to come back again. Like if I take the attitude of like, how could you have done this, you know, and, and, and placing so much blame and and the idea of like making that person feel guilty, you know. Again, it, it, there has to be discernment. What approach should I use in order to help this person who is living in a life of sin be able to come back again? Also, I should have patience because, you know, oftentimes when a person is living in a certain lifestyle, it's not one conversation that's just going to suddenly change their life. You know, it is, it is, it is, I have to be able to be gentle and to offer a path, you know, to offer a pathway back. It is not necessarily that I'm going to one that's going to push that person back. It's that there's a, I'm offering a pathway so that at some point in the future, when that person acknowledges, realizes, accepts that the lifestyle that they are leading is the wrong one, they have to believe that there is a way for them to return. This is exactly what happened with the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son, when he left his father and he lived in a life of sin, his father at no point tried to force him to come back, but actually he allowed him to go because he, 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 um, he, he allowed him to use his free will to decide for himself what he wanted to do, okay? And when he was there, there was no trying to force him back. There was no manipulation. There was no enticements. It was just, okay, he knows that th this is a life of sin. So, for instance, if, if, if we are dealing with a person, we can make it known to them. This lifestyle that you are leading is a sinful one. It's going to lead you to destruction. But even if the person is not willing to listen, 
there is a pathway back, just as the prodigal son knew that at any point, if he chose to go back to his father, his father would not reject him. Okay? And actually, the father ended up accepting him even more than what the son imagined because he thought he was going to go back as a hired servant and not as a son, but his father accepted him as a son. So at, at, at no point should we make the person feel like you are beyond redemption, you are beyond, like there's no way for you to return, that we break, we burn the bridges with this person. No, right? Sometimes people take it and they become kind of almost angry that the person has not returned or is not returning or is not listening. It's okay. If a person is not listening to wisdom, if a person is not listening to rebuke, it's okay. Don't, don't burn the bridge with them because you have no idea. At some point in the future, maybe God will work on their heart and they consider the possibility of returning. But if they think to themselves, no, um, they will never accept me or my friend will never accept me or whatever, then they, they won't come back. Even if in their heart they feel convicted um, for what they have done. Okay. Another pitfall is we shouldn't at the, because we speak about not being judgmental, we should not do the reverse where we take lightly the whole thing. We take lightly. We say, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, it's okay that you are living this way. No, at no point should we minimize the sin of the person, okay? But we should emphasize the wickedness of the sin, but still show love and compassion um, to the person. Uh, but Joseph, he says this. He says, for a weak man will never support a weak man, nor can one who is suffering in the same way bear or cure one in feeble health. But one who is himself not subject to infirmity brings remedies to one in weak health. For it is rightly said to him, physician, heal yourself. So a person has to be spiritually strong in order for them to be able to go and to help those who are spiritually weak. Right? Because, uh, you know, when Christ said, if, a, if, a, if the blind leads the blind, what will happen? They will both fall into a pit. Right? There's, you, can't, you can't have that. But so you have to have someone who can see in order to lead the person who is blind to safety. Okay? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, bearing the burdens of others. So whenever a person, whenever I see this person who is living in sin, I take it as a responsibility for me to take some kind of action. Now maybe, maybe there is little me in my place I can do. Maybe all I can do is pray for them. But that I feel a sense of responsibility toward this person. I feel like there is, like I ask myself, what is within my hands to do? in order to help this person with their salvation, this person who has left, this person who is going astray, this person who is in some kind of problem, instead of me kind of saying, okay, well, that's their business or someone else will help them, I ask myself, what is it that I can do to help them? Okay, St. John Chrysostom, he says, it being impossible for man to be without failings, he exhorts them not to scrutinize severely the offenses of others, but even to bear their failings that their own may in turn be borne by others. So realizing that other people have weaknesses, and even if we're, we're talking about a situation where the people that, let's say, are around me have some weakness and I have to deal with them, it is a constant source of annoyance and trouble for me, because I have to deal with a specific weakness that this person has. Like, let's say there's a person who um, really annoys me for some reason of some problem that they, you know, that they have, that they, they fall into a certain weakness all the time. Like, let's say 
a person who curses and it really bothers me. Or let's say a person who gossips a lot and it really bothers me. Or whatever the case might be. This is a weakness, you know, of this person. To bear one another's burdens means that I am able to, for the sake of love, to be in the presence of this person. Now, we're not talking about situations where that person leads me to sin. But I'm talking about when we feel like we are annoyed or bothered by a person for some reason. For the sake of love and to fulfill the law of Christ, then we are kind of willing to go the extra mile and to show support and kindness and mercy on such a person, praying and asking God for them to be healed, to be cured, to change, you know, to, to open their eyes, to, to maybe improve themselves without feeling like, you know what, the, my, the solution is to be that I just have to like completely remove myself from this person's presence because I can't stand them and I hate being with them, right? This is part of bearing the burden of another person. Just as we ourselves have our own weaknesses, have our own foibles, have our own things that we do that maybe is a source of annoyance to others, and we want people also to accept us, right? This is part of having mercy. We are having mercy on one another because we are not quick to judge or quick to flee from the presence of one another simply because we have annoying tendencies. Yeah. You know, when, um, when should we stop being around that person? Um, because uh, I feel that when I d you're talking about how a person, uh, how we should uh, bear another's burden, but if we are spiritually strong, and I feel like, at least for myself, I'm not spiritually strong enough to stay and bear with another one's burden. Um, so that's why I make the distinction between is the actions of the other person leading me to sin versus is it just something that I find annoying to be around? Okay, like, for instance, let's say there's a person who's gossiping, and when I'm with that person, I find myself gossiping. Okay, so that's, that's a reason to stay away. I'm not staying away because I'm judging this person, but I'm staying away because I myself am falling into the sin, and so I want to avoid sinful influences. But sometimes, let's say there's a person that I just find intolerable, right? It's not because they are attracting me to sin. I am just have a hard time tolerating them. And so I find myself being rude, being short, trying to avoid them, and so on. So here is saying, maybe the reason that this person is this way stems for some, some, some reason that maybe is hidden and, and I don't know. Showing love and compassion to this person is a way for this person to be able to, maybe um, over time, to heal and discover like why is it that they are acting a certain way so part of the christian love is not simply to avoid people that we find difficult but to have patience with them to be able to deal with them in love which is not an easy thing yeah there are some people who are very difficult to deal with and being able to deal with them with wisdom and discernment is is a difficult thing but not to say that this is you know it's not my responsibility right because as part of the body of christ one of the roles of the body of Christ is to exhort, right? To encourage, to heal, to rebuke, like to correct the things that are, that, are, that are wrong. So it's our responsibility as a service to one another. You see what I mean? For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Okay, so speaking about the Judaizers specifically, 
right? They, they were considering themselves to be leaders of the people, guiding the people on the right path, contrary to and against the teachings of St. Paul. So they were essentially self-proclaimed apostles who, who considered themselves to be righteous, considered themselves to be knowing the truth, considering themselves to be equivalent to the apostles of God, the messengers of God, and speaking the truth, contrary to what the message of St. Paul actually was with regards to circumcision and so on. Okay, So they deceived themselves and were puffed up by their own desire for authority and respect and did not know their place. If anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. They were blinded to this. So sometimes what we seek after is a position or a service or something that has not been appointed to me, has not been given to me. So I should not try to take that role by force because I, I feel that I am good enough to do it. I feel like I have the skills to do it. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it and even argue against the people who have actually been appointed to those roles, you know. If anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And it's easy for us to deceive ourselves. It's easy for us to criticize people who are on, let's say, a position of authority and to say in our own mind, you know what, if I was in that position, I would have done such a better job and I would have done this and this. Maybe we see this in politics all the time, right? Like everybody accuses that whoever's responsible is horrible in every way and that if we were the ones there instead, everything would be perfect and wonderful in any leadership position. Maybe, maybe people think this. And here the Judaizers were thinking this about St. Paul. He's saying he is not teaching the truth, right? We know the truth more than him. Okay. Is there a question? Okay, it's okay. A couple of uh, verses ago, we were talking about how deceivers, uh, idolaters, uh, people who hate, uh, all that kind of stuff, de deceivers. I, I'm talking about myself. I am very, I'm having a very hard time, and you're talking about politicians, going and understanding where should I go with politics. Like... Um, because in politics, there's people are making value judgments and um, they are expressing themselves. I don't know how to explain it, but both sides are lying. And I don't know how to go about my, you know, my political views because one side is going, I don't know how to explain it, but that um so pol politics is a uh, is a is a very hot topic right and so i'm not going to try to speak about specifics but this is all i would say as a general principle you're never going to find a person who is up for election who is saintly who embodies all of the characteristics of christianity because if there were then you would it would be clear and we would just vote for that person Instead, what you find is people with imperfections and failures and different policies of various degrees that are contrary to God's commandment and contrary to what we personally might think is best for the country, let's say. So how do you decide when you only have like 
a handful of options or even two options. So y you have to decide based on a priority. What are the most important things? And what do I think is the person who will fulfill those most important things? And different people might have different opinions about what that is because both of them are imperfect. Both of them have failures, right? So you have to ask yourself, like, of these candidates, who is the one who is going to embody the, the most important things about the truth, about the Christian life, and so on? What are the most important things? So you have to ask that. It's a question for yourself. What are the most important things? Who is going to do that? That doesn't mean that that person doesn't have other failures because they're definitely going to, right? Because there's no, there's no perfection here. It's a, it's a what is the best choice as opposed to what is a good choice. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Okay, Instead of caring so much about what other people are doing, what other people's affairs are, the details of other people's lives or other people's service or other people's jobs or other people's situation, instead examine your own work. You know, It's very easy for us. Let's say when we listen to a sermon and then we hear like this very powerful point, I'm like, oh, I wish such and such person was here to hear that because that they, ex they needed to hear that. That sometimes is like the first thing that might come into our mind instead of saying, okay, what, how can, how, why do I need to hear that? Like, is there something in me that will benefit from that before I start thinking about other people? We oftentimes neglect examining ourselves because it's much easier to see the failures of other people. When we look at ourselves, maybe we tend to see the positive things and make excuses for the negative, the negative things that we do. Like friends, like when I cut someone off in traffic, I make ex an excuse for myself. Well, like I'm so late, and and if I'm late, I might lose my job, and you know I justify, right? But if somebody else cuts us off, maybe that's the last thing we're ever going to think of. We just this person's a horrible driver, right? So. We, it's quick to judge the, the negative things of other people and to g not make excuses for them. But when it comes to me, I make excuses for myself. How many people think that they are actually a horrible driver? I don't think anyone thinks that they're a horrible driver. Everyone thinks they're the best driver, right? Me too. I also think that. Um, so, so when we examine ourselves, we discover something. And that thing that we discover, like when we're speaking about the works of the flesh, how is it that we even realize what are the works of the flesh in us? How is it that we realize what are the things we need to confess? What, are th what is the spiritual battle that even needs to be waged? Unless I know myself, unless I see myself clearly, unless I'm honest with myself and say, okay, I have a problem with such and such, right? It's not just that I made a mistake. No, I have a deep-rooted passion. I have a passion. I have a a struggle that I inherently have a weakness in and I struggle with it and it's a weakness that I have and maybe I am more weak in this area than other people are weak, right? I have to acknowledge that, to accept that about myself. That's like the first step of healing, you know? The first step of healing of a cancer patient is to acknowledge they have cancer. If, if, if they continually reject the, the idea that they might have a serious illness, then they will never seek the treatment necessary, right? So to examine oneself is like the, the, the foundational 
you know, thing that we have to do in order to, to continue down this life of sanctification, the spiritual battle. But if we are always distracted by looking at another, okay, whether the good or the bad, we are just looking away. We're looking away from ourselves. We're looking to others. We're distracted by them then we will not succeed. And specifically, the Judaizers were doing this. Instead of looking at themselves and say, okay, what is it that we need to be doing? They're placing themselves as to be positions of authority, taking the place of St. Paul and not speaking the truth. For each one shall bear his own load. Right? A person who works should not be concerned with boasting of their work, but being responsible in his work and bearing his load with humility and diligence. So person is, I have my own responsibilities. I have my own load. I have my own, you know, things that God has required of me. Instead of being a busybody and seeing, looking to the things of other people, I am what? I am focusing on myself, my own things, okay? And when it comes time for some kind of reward, we say here what, what, um, what Christ said that we should say about our, our own reward and our own good works that we have done. We say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty to do. What is it that I'm expecting from God or from other people whenever I do good? Well, I'm not expecting anything. I'm, ex I'm expecting to just say that I am doing my service, I am doing my responsibility, and I know that God will reward me, but that doesn't mean that the reward is going to come in the form of some immediate reward or a reward that are compliments that come from people and so on. I am bearing my load silently. You know, I'm doing my work without needing to have kind of recognition or praise, right? Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Okay, so essentially saying that the teacher should be supported by the fruit of his ministry, which are the people. So like when St. Paul is establishing churches and he's serving the people essentially the people should be the one to support him right like the 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 the, the, the minister the preacher the bishop supported by the ministry that he pours himself into um do not be deceived god is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This is the law of sowing and reaping, which is very foundational in the Christian life, right? Whatever we sow, whatever we invest in, whatever we, we put energy in, we will reap some reward from it. But if we are instead sowing to the flesh, if we are in investing in the flesh, if we are you know, indulging in the flesh, then we will also reap the corruption that comes from that and not from the spiritual things. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You know, oftentimes it's easy to start doing something good, but it's hard to persevere in doing that good thing. You know, any one of us say, like, the first day you're on a new job, it's easy to say, you know what, I'm excited about this job. And there's a lot of potential, and there's a lot of prospects, and there's a lot of exciting things I'm going to learn, and there's a lot of exciting things I'm going to do, right? And at the beginning of the job, it's like almost like that motivation and excitement is what propels you to wake up in the morning, to go to work, to, to do a good job, to stay late, to, to go be, you know, the extra mile and everything. But at some point, that job is not going to be new anymore. And that feeling of newness and excitement that we had at the beginning is going to wane. 
And what is going to remain is that we are simply persevering. Like we have chosen to persevere. Like I have a responsibility and this is a life that I have chosen. And as long as I am here in this place, I will continue to be responsible for the things that I am doing, even if it is not exciting. Even if the newness, that feeling of newness or excitement that I had at the beginning was gone. And the same is true with spiritual life. You know, sometimes people have these spiritual experiences where they feel very passionately about, you know what, I want to start reading the Bible every day. I want to start praying every day. I want to start fasting all the fasts. I want to go even beyond this and feel like my life is, you know, is on a different track than before. And that's a great. And God often gives us those motivators to say, here, this is a motivator. This is like, this is something that's going to fuel you, like fuel you in a certain good direction. But that doesn't mean that that fuel is going to stay forever. It doesn't mean that that extra motivation kick is going to stay forever. Because part of the spiritual life and spiritual maturity is learning how to persevere and endure to the end, even without all of that, simply as discipline. That I have chosen a certain life, and I will be disciplined in living that life. So let us not grow weary, right? Because we are, our eyes are focused on the goal, right? The goal. What is the goal? And as long as my eyes are focused on the goal, I can stay motivated toward that goal but it might not be very fast like it might take a long time and it should not be based on these temporary feelings if we do not lose heart because we are consistent and faithful looking and targeting what is the end goal therefore as we have opportunity let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith like let's serve the body of christ we have opportunity let us serve the body of christ see with what large letters i have written to you with my own hand so St. Paul, whenever he would, you know, write these epistles, he would dictate them to someone who would then write them down, okay? And St. Paul, as we said before, um, many people believe that he had a problem with his vision. And so kind of as a, uh, as like a seal at the end of this epistle and like his signature at the end of this epistle, in order to emphasize his his love for the Galatians and that he, he is the one truly who was writing this, these are his own words, He's, he takes from this part to the end of this chapter. This is the last chapter. Um, he writes it with his own hand as opposed to dictating it to someone who is recording it and writing it down. And because he had this vision problem, um, he couldn't see very well to, to write small letters. So he would write in large letters. So when he says, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand, he's like, this is my actual handwriting. This is what I'm writing to you. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. What is he saying? Those Judaizers, they were wanting to say that salvation is through circumcision. Okay, And so why is it that that, that message would result in them not being circumcised? Okay, Because... Oops. Hmm? Oh, it's okay. Um... Why? Because essentially the Judaizers were in this position where they were Jews and Christians. Okay, So from the Jewish culture, saying that circumcision was not important and all these things are not important was going to bring persecution on them from the Jews because the Jews acknowledged that circumcision is important and so on. So for the Judaizers to say that circumcision is important, but while at the same time proclaiming Christianity, it's kind of like they're in between. Okay, they're not going to receive 
the, as much persecution or they're trying to avoid the persecution from the Jews by still preaching the idea of circumcision. But at the same time, they're also Christians and they believe in Christianity. So here St. Paul is saying is that this group is trying to compel you to be circumcised and they are, they are, they are preaching circumcision only for the reason that they want to avoid the persecution from the Jews because if they said that the circumcision was unnecessary, then they would be in a lot of trouble with the Jews and they would be persecuted more. This is what St. Paul is saying. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So even the Judaizers, even though they are preaching circumcision, okay, but they were not keeping the whole law. Like if you really believed, like, like if, if, if circumcision was necessary for salvation, well, what about the rest of the law of the Old Testament? Right? He's saying they are not keeping the whole law, but they desire that you have circumcision, okay? And that you obey the law because they are using this circumcision as a tool to gain power and authority. By them coming to the Galatians and saying, we are saying that circumcision is necessary, they are placing themselves in a position of power and authority to be able to control the, those Galatians who are then listening to this message. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I'm to read this quote from St. John Chrysostom. He says, what he here calls the world is not the heaven or the earth, but the affairs of life. He's saying, I've been crucified from the affairs of life, right? Like, like I, I, I am separated from the affairs of life. I'm detached from the affairs of life. The praise of men retinues, glory, wealth, and all such things as have a show of splendor. All these things St. Paul has abandoned. To me, these things are dead, and I am dead to them. Neither do they captivate nor overcome me, for they are dead once for all, nor can I desire them, for I too am dead to them. Nothing can be more blessed than this putting, than this putting to death, for it is the foundation of the blessed life. Going back to the idea of the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the spirit. Someone who is able to detach themselves completely from the world, from the desires of the world, from the expectations of the world, from the, the, the wisdom of the world, someone who completely separates themselves from that, they will experience no, um, you know, they, they, they will experience no effect from them by the world. The world will have no power over them because it is like they are living in heaven even though they are still on the earth, right? They are manifesting in themselves the fruit of the Spirit and completely away from all of the people and the way of, of lust, of the works of the flesh that is manifested in the world. This is the way of peace. The way to have peace in the Christian life, and I don't mean this isolation, meaning like physically separated from all the world, although monasticism is that. But for those of us who are not monastics, to separate our hearts from the world, that there is nothing in the world that brings me kind of excitement. There's nothing in the world that I desire because I recognize that the world is empty, that nothing is going to bring true satisfaction and that it is all temporary anyway. And so there is nothing so great in it that makes me want to chase after it, that makes me want to sacrifice my relationship with God for it, that makes me want to desire it because I recognize it for what it is and that is a deception. Right? All those things in the world that are attractive are a deception that, that lead me away from God. So for me to detach myself from the world, I find peace. 
right? I find peace because I am no longer constantly bombarded by the lusts that are in the world, the attractions in the world, the things that are dividing my mind, making me want to go after them. When I completely shut the door and I no longer see these things and I contemplate on them and hear them and expose to them, and all I am doing is immersing myself in God, in the church, in his word, this is finding true joy. This is to find the true freedom because I am no longer bound by the desires of the flesh to seek after the things of the world that are of no value, but I am free to seek only the things of God that have eternal value. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation, right? Because in baptism, we are a new creation, right? Baptism is the fulfillment of the symbol of circumcision that was in given in the Old Testament. Circumcision is just the outward sign but baptism is the true fulfillment, and baptism is available to anyone who wants to be a believer. In Romans 6, 4, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So this newness of life, this new creation that St. Paul here is speaking about, begins in baptism and continues through a walk and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So the Israel of God is referring to the church, right? Uh, the, as, as many people as accept this, right? Peace and mercy, right? Peace and mercy will be manifested on those people who accept this life. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So St. Paul is boasting of his sufferings in Christ. He is boasting of all the, that, that Christ has allowed to happen to him for the sake of the ministry. And he's willing to endure all of it for the sake of the ministry, for the sake of Christ. And he's calling upon the Galatians to accept this message and, and, and to reject the lies of the Judaizers in order for them also to be able to... Um, to, to enjoy the, the fullness of freedom that is found in Christ. Any questions about this? This is the last chapter of Galatians. Okay. Uh, glory be to God forever. Amen. God willing, um, we will start a new book uh, next time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day and for the blessings that you give us in our life. We thank you, O Lord, because you tell us the path of salvation, and you warn us about all of the deceitfulness and the attractions of the world that seek to enslave us. And you also offer to us the freedom that we find in you and in your way. We ask you, O God, to present yourself to us in an attractive way that we will seek after you, O Lord, and see the destructive patterns and attachments that are in the world that drag us down. We ask, O God, that you grant us power and grace in order to wage the spiritual warfare against the works of the flesh and to manifest in us the fruit of the Spirit. We thank you, O Lord, for your word and for allowing us to meditate on it and to learn from it and to grow in it day by day. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. And also with your spirit.